Yo, I said, what's up with all this fighting? We should be uniting. Egos need deflating. Gangsters, please quit hating. Stop. We ain't hen. We come Stop. out the coop. Sometimes Stop. I get backed up, I gotta poop. Stop it! Top 1,000 rings. 1,000 Gentlemen, welcome to Top 1000 Radio. I am your host, Chris Naren, and uh, you all walked in on us, uh, Randy and I. Uh, Randy was trying to um, convince me that we should change formats, okay? And uh, I don't think that's going to work for this show, but, uh, you know, anyway, sorry that won't happen again. All right, uh, thanks for listening, watching, watching? I'm not on YouTube. Uh, rating the show five stars, following, okay? A lot of you have no problem with the following part, okay? Maybe the button for the follow, the follow button is a smaller button or a bigger button or an easier button to push than the, the rate button. I guess you got to do two things. You got to click on the rate and then you got to click on the, the little stars, but... Uh, or some of you maybe um, felt sorry for me and you hit the follow button and then you try to do the rating thing and it wouldn't let you because you haven't actually listened to the show. That might be a problem. Uh, listen to the show. It ain't going to hurt you none. I mean, if you if you find yourself in agony listening to the show, um, I suppose you could turn the volume down long enough for to let you rate the show, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but I don't. I don't think we want to do that. I think we want you to enjoy the show. And and if you you know, uh, but but if you have listened and enjoyed the show, rating the show five stars will help us get this out to people like yourself who enjoy what we're doing here. Okay, all right. And of course, what we're doing here is we're creating the ultimate one thousand song playlist, uh, painstakingly, really. Uh, going through this and and uh, uh, really digging in deep to these songs to see if they deserve to be on uh, an unassailable list of a thousand songs. I've kind of got my first. Uh, gosh, I've got fifteen plus hours on on the list so far of songs we've already ranked, and um, you know it's it's. It's working out pretty much like I expected when I, when I, I've even gone, I've even done the shuffle thing. I was thinking doing the shuffle thing is going to screw things up, but so far so good on the shuffle thing. Um, if you know what I'm talking about, like if, you, if you're, if you use a Spotify playlist and you put it on shuffle, it's going to like kind of at first just kind of randomly pick a queue of songs for you to listen to. And every time you quit the app and come back on, it's going to be a different cue, but it will have saved your your listening habits from the last time to see if you skipped a song, let it play all the way through, all that kind of thing. And what tends to happen is it will, it will start pushing things to the front of the cue that you've already heard, um, which is kind of annoying for a lot of us because, you know, we want variety in our, in our playlist and, and, uh, that's kind of, you know, one of the uh, functions that this playlist is supposed to have is is that it 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 prevents that kind of you know thing from happening. 
Uh, but so far, um, I haven't had any problems with uh, the songs that it's been pushing to the front of the list. That's probably because those are some of my favorite songs. Okay, so it kind of makes sense. Um, so anyway, uh, top 1000 radio.blogspot.com if you want to get some ideas for your own list um, you can go and use that uh, we're not really doing the challengers list right now we did did that in the first season uh, we're going to pause that for probably until after season four and um, and then we'll start we'll start uh, I actually want folks in the audience to uh, to start doing the challenging um, so that's, but that's a long ways off. We get a lot of music to talk about, uh, between now and then. Okay. So now it is time for news and reviews, right? It is time for news and reviews. Uh, we're going to start with disturbed. Uh, they're back in the news again. Their troubles continue as their pyrotechnics set off the sprinkler system in Houston, Texas's Cynthia Woods Mitchell Pavilion. Upon yelling bingo, one fan in attendance produced his Spinal Tap bingo card, but it was disqualified because the band has yet to get lost in Cleveland trying to find the stage. Wolfgang Van Halen provided guitar work for the Barbie soundtrack in between shows opening for Metallica. The son of Van Halen's late guitarist admitted it was awkward when Metallica drummer Lars Ulrich squealed and asked him for his autograph. Bassist and co-founder of the Eagles, Randy Meisner, died this week at the age of 77. Meisner was a pioneer of what would become known as the California Sound, a laid-back style of country rock he developed with such artists as Ricky Nelson and his original band Poco. He is perhaps best known for his vocal contribution to one of the Eagles' biggest hits, Take It to the Limit. And the Eagles still suck. Okay, here come my reviews. Okay, I got to recommend for you uh, Quarterbacks on Netflix. Doesn't have anything to do with music, but it's, (laughs) you know, football's my thing. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, give that one a good big thumbs up. I always love a football documentary. I've seen probably every one of them. They kind of melt one into the other at this point. But this one was produced by Peyton Manning, so you know it's going to be good. If you haven't seen his and Eli's uh, series on ESPN+, Plus, they have the Peyton's Places and Eli's, Eli's Places uh, where Peyton does the NFL, does the history of the NFL, and Eli does the history of college football. Um, uh, those are fantastic. Check those out. Uh, this one focuses on three current NFL passers, Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariota. Uh, the most compelling part of it to me is the physical toll that the game play, pay, takes on these guys. Um, but here's my one, it's not a knock on the show, but this is, this is the thing that gives me the agita as the Italians would say, it aggravates me. Um, seeing these guys go through what they go through, getting clobbered every game and getting injured and playing hurt, and then watching them train, it 
it makes me angry, okay? What skilled players need, all skilled players, especially quarterbacks, is armor, all right? They have the padding, right? The shoulder pads, the helmet, the thigh pads and knee pads and whatever, all right? They have all that, but that's not enough. Quarterbacks will even wear, you know, a rib protector. That's not enough, okay? They need armor. They've already got athleticism. Okay, enough to move around and make plays, get out of trouble most of the time, all right? But that's not enough. When you get caught by a couple of 300-pounders, there's nothing nothing but to protect yourself, okay? So you need armor protecting you, all right? And they're not getting it, okay? You're not going to get it trying to increase your athleticism through functional strength training, and mobility training. The one thing that you won't get from that is increased athleticism, all right? And you're not going to get armor either out of it, okay? And it's a very high opportunity cost to doing that kind of thing because you could be spending that time getting putting on muscle, developing thicker, stronger bones, okay? I think one of the reasons why... Uh, the you know the tried and true Bill Starr method, whatever you want to call it, the old school strength training methods um, aren't popular is because they don't take as much time. Believe it or not, uh, you know you're not going to be in a training facility for eight hours a day doing doing what you're what you should be doing. You you should be uh, uh, in there for ninety minutes three times a week. And then the rest of the time, you could be spending on film. You could be spending it on footwork. You could be spending it on all kinds of things that would help you help you be a better quarterback. Okay, but instead they they fill up their days with all these ridiculous uh, things that that they do that don't give you the armor. You look at you look at these quarterbacks and they're skinny. Some of them are like skinny and and they don't have any uh, muscle development around their knees, and they, you know, their calves are small. I just saw Joe Burrow go down with a calf injury that he's got tiny little calves. Okay, and and uh, you know, it just it just really makes me angry that some of these guys um, have to play with that kind of pain when they, you know, back in the old days in the seventies, you know, the guys were they weren't you know quarterbacks they they weren't going to be training they they would run that was pretty much maybe might do some calisthenics or whatever i don't know maybe a few went in the into the into the weight room but most of them were getting by on their natural athletic ability and and um and those guys got those guys got hurt beyond anything guys go through today um and uh but you know their their careers were very short compared to quarterbacks today so anyway that's you know my soapbox, but I do recommend that 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 uh, that series on Netflix. Um, a movie we just watched uh, called Nefarious. Big thumbs up on that one. If you've read and liked C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters, if you haven't read that yet, you need to go do that. Um, that's by far C.S. Lewis's most accessible uh, work, maybe outside of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, very different from the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, but you'll appreciate this movie if you're if you're already a fan of that. Maybe maybe watching this movie will make you 
want to go read screw tape letters. I don't know. We'll see. And I got tickets. We have tickets for uh, for a stage version of screw tape letters coming up in October. So keep you posted. Anyway, this is a supernatural psychological thriller about a state appointed psychiatrist tasked with determining the psychological fitness of a death row inmate. The inmate claims to be a demonic spirit possessing the serial killer. There's mild violence, some talk of very sensitive issues. It's not for kids, not for anyone who might be set off by dark thoughts. Uh, but there isn't any profanity in it. If there is, it's very little. Uh, no, no sexual visual stuff, but they talk about some sensitive things. Uh It'll probably seem unrealistic to most contemporary viewers because there's no profanity. But if you just, uh, you know, if you just let yourself listen to what they're saying, you might, it might not take you out of it. Uh, it was written and produced by the same people that made the wi- widely derided God's Not Dead movies. So um, that's probably why some people will choose not to see it. But it's a completely different movie from those in terms of tone and, and acting. The acting is actually believable. All right, There's no exhalations from pursed lips. Okay, I've, I've watched enough Christian movies in my day. It's kind of like a hobby of mine because uh, you know, sometimes they're so bad that, that you know, it's fun to watch just because of how bad they are. Um, and I'm not, I'm not putting them down you know, because of their content, I, I totally, you know, um, admire what they're trying to do. It just, they're, they're so bad. There's this thing that I picked up on, uh, at some point in a Christian movie, a character is going to be relieved. He's going to feel this moment of relief and he's going to exhale through his, his lips are going to be tight and he's going to, he's going to breathe through his lips. You know, like you do when you puff your your uh, your lips out a little bit, you know. It 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 I it catches me every time I see that, and I'm like, is there a director <laughs> that okay in this scene you're really relieved, so you're gonna breathe out like this, <laughs> and they do it. It's every single movie. I mean, take don't take my word for it. Check it out yourself. Anyway. Also, this movie has does have Glenn Beck in it at the end, and that might that might be a deal breaker for some of you, okay? And he, he is not looking healthy either. So, but it's a it's a good movie. I highly recommend it. Um, not yet. I'm still not yet recommending Billions. Okay, I'm still in that. You know, I'm, I'm keep you posted. But there, the the soundtrack still continues to you know to um, not impress, but satisfy. I guess is a word. They do a really good job of using songs sometimes the title of the episode will be a song that they use and uh, but they 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 make very good use of music in the show so um but anyway um also not yet recommending because uh, i just started I'm only three episodes in justified city primeval i was a big fan of the original um i'm only three into the new one like i said um but i can already tell you what it's missing Okay, it's missing Kentucky. That's what it's missing. The original was set in Kentucky. The characters were all, uh, you know, crazy redneck. Uh, you know, the bad guys were all these, you know, insane rednecks. And that's what made it interesting. Okay, the Crowder family, uh, 
you know, Boyd Crowder. I'm trying to remember the name of the actor. He's everywhere now. Um, but he was such a great villain. Boyd Crowder was just like one of the greatest villains of all time. Um, and you're not getting this. This one's set in Michigan and it's, it doesn't have the character to it that the original did, um, or characters really. Uh, they're not interesting or funny. Uh, his daughter, if she was like an out of control Southern girl, Maybe their relationship would be compelling, but she's just this brooding, you know, run-of-the-mill teenager. And Raylan's just a terrible dad, <laughs> you know. So right now, the storyline is just kind of so-so, and I'll, I'll keep you guys posted. Song Notes. Finalists by Tourniquet from their, the fifth track from their second studio album, Psychosurgery, 1991. Taking advantage of rap metal's new popularity, Spineless features the vocal sampling contribution of Christian hip-hop group Preachers in Disguise. Although drummer Tecker Patrick wrote most of the song lyrics prior to entering the studio, PID's Fred Doug Trey Lynch and Barry G. Hogan crafted their own lyrical contributions on the spot. Good old boys, Waylon Jennings, from his, the third track from his 27th studio album, Music Man. 1980. The album will go to number 36. The song will go to number 21. Jennings had narrated the 1979 movie Moonrunners and was hired to do the same for the Dukes of Hazard TV show. He wrote two versions of the song, one for the show and one for the album. The album version doesn't include the banjo part or John Schneider's Yeehaw at the end. It does include a bridge and another verse in which Jennings alludes to the fact that only his hands are seen on TV. It was Jennings' biggest crossover hit of his career. It sold over a million times as a ringtone by 2007. Sunday Bloody Sunday, the opening track on U2's third studio album, War, 1983. The album will go to number 12, the single will go to number 7. It grew from a guitar riff and lyric written by The Edge in 1982 while Bono was on his honeymoon in Jamaica. Drummer Larry Mullen Jr. was convinced to use a click track, making his drum pattern the song's hook. Lyrics describe the horror felt by an observer of the Troubles in Northern Ireland, mainly focusing on the 1972 Bloody Sunday incident in Derry, where British troops shot and killed unarmed civil rights protesters.
Fox on the Run, the seventh track on Sweet's third studio album, Desolation Boulevard, 1974. The album will go to number 25, the single to number 5. The first Sweet single written by the band rather than producers Nicky Chin and Mike Chapman. The song's inclusion in the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 led to the song reaching number one on the iTunes rock chart in late 2016. than a feeling the opening track on boston's debut album boston 1976 the album will go to number three the single to number five written by tom schultz over the course of five years influences on the song include the kingsman's louis louis james gang's tend my garden and walk away renee by the left bank the drum parts were originally developed by Jim Maceda, but Sib Hashian played the drums on the official release. Schultz's guitar solo was influenced by Baroque music in that it uses mordants and inverted mordants, alter- alternating the note above and below a particular note. No covers for old songs. Yes, no covers for old songs. And we got quite a few this time, actually. Uh, spineless, obviously, tourniquet, no, no, uh, no covers for that one, uh, none necessary. There are several for good old boys. I skipped a lot of them because they were just kind of redundant. Um, John Schneider, who played Bo Duke, uh, one of the two main characters in the show, uh, he and Tom Wopat, who played Luke, both of them had singing careers of various, uh, uh, success, I guess you would say. Um, I think Schneider probably did better musically, but anyway, he this is pretty well done. It's straightforward, but uh, has some cool slide guitar work in it that uh, that's worth it, I guess. Uh, I'd say this one is necessary if not for nothing else, the royalties that John Schneider got from it. Uh, probably my favorite cover would be Josh Turner. Uh, Turner's got this really pure voice, kind of a, oh gosh, kind of like a Keith Whitley. Um, tragically died, I think, of drugs and alcohol back in the 80s. But um, but he's kind of in that Keith Whitley vo- vocal uh, range. Uh, it's pretty straightforward, which I usually don't care for. But this one... This one works very well instrumentally. Um, in fact, this one's been on my playlist before, and and I always enjoyed it. So uh, I say yes, that one's necessary. Can't say the same about Montgomery Gentry. It's a slower version. I don't know why they slowed it down. Um, it has more prominent steel guitar. Um, the the even the Schneider version, but the original and the Josh Turner version, they. They kind of stick to that outlaw country uh, 
sound while this the Montgomery Gentry kind of takes it back to a more conventional country and I don't I don't really care for that one so I'm going to say that one's not necessary um, and especially not necessary was the Hazard County Boys uh, which is like a, a kind of a I don't know how you explain they used to do this a lot back in the 70s and 80s where they would uh, take popular songs and there'd already be a soundtrack out, but they'd make another soundtrack with, with like a chorus and it would be, you know, just kind of, it's hard to explain if you didn't grow up then, but it was a cast recording, I guess they, and on Broadway, that's what they would call it, I guess. But in this one, it has like a, a couple of little monologues by Cheryl, Cheryl book, the guy who played boss hog him, you know, explaining who he is and how he runs the county and you know if it weren't for them duke boys and all that stuff it's really hokey like hee-haw levels of corn so that one is not necessary uh sunday bloody sunday uh there's a metalcore cover by a group called evergreen terrace they're taking that from the simpsons i guess um it's quite a feat in my book to remove a song's power by screaming and playing louder, but they somehow managed to do that. Okay. The, the song has no, you know, no kick or drive to it. Like in the original, even though they're doing a metalcore version of it. So I, that that's wild. So no, that's not necessary. There's several piano covers. The piano dreamers covers a little bit better than cover me piano, but that's not saying much. I don't think any of those are, you know, they do the, Again, the thing where they replace the vocal melody with, you know, with a piano melody, and it just doesn't work for me. Um, there is a version of it by someone named Richard Cheese. Uh, it's kind of like a lounge singer Pat Boone vibe, um, and it's kind of fun. <laughs> it would probably work in a in a comedy about a hapless IRA commando squad trying to kidnap you too. Okay, that would be perfect for that. So, so I'm going to say necessary. Sure, why not? <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> See if you agree with me. Uh, Fox on the Run. Um, it was covered by Brian Connolly, which is the lead singer from Sweet. He did a solo version of it. It's a slightly harder one, but uh, still a little too similar to the original. I'd say no on that one. Ace Freely, the original Kiss lead guitarist did a version of it and he made it it's his own it's harder it's more up front okay bubblegum 70s bubblegum tended to be kind of in the back a little bit in the mix um his is more up front so it's got more it's got more um power to it uh i always liked freely's vocal they were always a nice break from ace uh from um what's his name uh paul stanley um, and, uh, so I'm going to say yes on that one. That one's necessary. I, I, I think I'd heard that one years ago and, and liked it. So, um, more than a feeling Boston's lots of those, a lot of acoustic covers and, um, you know, orchestral covers. And I didn't really care t- too much for them. Somebody Mike Massey featuring Jenny Oaks. I am assuming Jenny Oaks is playing the cello. And that's pretty much 
All that's different here is it's pretty close to the original, but there's some like some cello in it. It's just okay. I'm going to say no, not necessary. Um, Ninja Sex Party, or NSP as we call them in my house, um, is, uh, I don't know if you're not familiar with them, they, 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 have, they have their own music, but they, they do a lot of covers, and they're usually pretty pretty good ones, and they, they, they make them their own. This one's like an 80s synth rock cover. It's, uh, you know, it's fun. It's, it's almost like Tom Schultz wrote the song in a skating rink in 1983 instead of his basement in 1969. So, um, so at least they, you know, make it kind of fun. Uh, Alan White, Billy Sherwood, and Tommy Kay, who are three of the members from the progressive rock band of the seventies called Yes. Um, they actually do a, they, they do a version of more than a feeling on a compilation album called hair metal power ballads which is kind of strange because Yes is not considered a hair metal band, but evidently they <laughs> they got asked to do this and they did it. And it's kind of weird, but good. So I'm just going to barely say yes necessary. Check it out yourself. Alan White, Billy Sherwood, Tony Kay, um, doing their version of More Than a Feeling. And then there's a punk band called Hit the Lights. Um, they, there, there's this punk, uh, goes series. In this case, it's punk goes classic rock and hit the lights is this fairly obscure, um, Ohio punk band. They peaked somewhere around 2007. Um, it's okay. I generally like this kind of thing. Uh, but I totally understand when people don't. Okay. So. To my shame, I'm going to say yes on this one because uh, I just I ter- I know there are some people out there that like despise, for instance, Alien Ant Farm's cover of uh, of um, Smooth Criminal, just as as an example. Personally, I liked it. I liked it a lot. The video was great back in the day, and uh, you know, um, I th- I don't know. I I always liked that. That's, I love the original. I like the cover too. So, um, I don't know. Your mileage may vary. Council of Learned Elders Reviews. This is Artillo here. Greetings from allergy season and other seasons. So, for this battle, tourniquet, spineless. I'm kind of feeling this right now, but once again, Tourniquet's mixture of styles is killer quirky. It reminds me of some days. Oddly, I'm going to give it a tie with Sunday Bloody Sunday, which is by far a better liked song for me. I mean, I've never heard Spineless before, which is not a surprise, given that I have never listened to Tourniquet. But, and yeah, this may be odd, YouTube's reception within my own brain has been lackluster as of late. They have been one of my favorite bands for many years, and I'm not sure if this is just an instance of something being played out for me, because it is extending across all of their music for me. But we will see how that plays out eventually, I guess. Uh... I am going to give Tourniquet and you 2 uh, a top spot tie here. Again, um, 
Again, Sunday Bloody Sunday, it's one of the top U2 songs for me, but I don't know. Weird season. And speaking of that, uh, I will put uh, the Dukes of Hazard theme song at three, I guess, under the tie. Uh, this intro was one of my favorite television programs. Like, the intro and theme song were the program. And then I would walk out of the room saying, good show. More Than Feeling by Boston. And can I just say, our host is really stepping up his music theory game. Are we really talking about mordants and inverted mordants here? Uh, he was kind enough to send me his notes, and I don't know if he's going to do it, but wow. Um, just mentioning that here, also recent episodes, mention of Lydian modes and some other things I can't remember at the moment. Hey, I have to find other things to talk about. Um, my comments have been short on this show lately. This is part of why I got to start getting more creative here. So for now, I'll just say that this would be a usual three for me. But as it is also rather played out for me at this time, I am ranking it below Dukes of Hazard. I know that's not a very defensible choice, but them's the breaks. So, lastly, Fox on the Run by Sweet. I'm giving a one. I really like the intro. Love the synth. The layered vocals are fun. Drums are enjoyable. I guess, if anything, i downvote it for lyrics. Plus, I just like the other songs better. And that is gonna do it for me this time around. Artillo wishes you a happy season, whatever that is for you. Okay, thank you, Artillo. And then uh, Emo Sean uh, doesn't have uh, a helium-dripped uh, audio for us like usual. Uh, Emo Sean is a very busy guy these days. But he does did send me his rankings. Emo Sean is going to rank Spineless at number five. Uh, More Than a Feeling, number four, uh, Bloody Sunday, Sunday Bloody Sunday, number three, and Fox on the Run, number two. And, of course, as usual, Emo Sean is going to give the country song a one. So I think the only way you're going to get Emo Sean to rank a country song uh, above a one is, uh, is to put a Christmas song in there, and uh, that'll... So anyway, but that's not my. That's not up to me. That's up to Randy Jenner. Uh, I don't. I don't pick the songs. Randy does. Okay, I pick the songs, the thousand songs at first, but then for each battle, that's Randy Jenner's job. So anyway, all right. So thank you for that, Artillo and Emo Sean. So you know what time it is. Beat verdict. Yeah, the lady said verdict, okay? <laughs> I don't know if you can hear these. I'm trying a little something different, okay, people? All right. All right, so here's here's my verdict. Number five, I'm going to give my top spot to More Than a Feeling by Boston. This song never gets old for me. Uh, and if a song should, it would be this one. I've been hearing it fairly regularly since I was six years old, 47 years. My next door neighbor cranked it from his bedroom window. Top 40 radio played it. It was a skating rink and video arcade staple. Uh, 
a cassette cassette tape, then a CD worn out in high school, and then a streaming playlist constant. You know, summers at the levee, summers at the beach, driving down to the lake. I, you know, I don't think it'll ever be overplayed for me. And I think about how Tom Schultz spent years perfecting it. You know, this wasn't Dancing in the Dark or Cherry Pie, you know, one of those legendary, the record company needs a hit kind of stories. You know, this was a painstakingly crafted song that I think deserves to be heard over and over again. Probably the rest of my life. Number four, Sunday Bloody Sunday by U2. I can't remember when I first heard the song like I can remember New Year's Day. I heard that one at a high school basketball game and it kind of blew me away. Um, I might have heard Sunday Bloody Sunday, uh, a cover version of it at a, at a live concert with a band doing, you know, covers. And I pretty sure I heard it there. And, and, and this was before we moved to California and I pretty sure I was impressed. Uh, but anyway, um, I get to California and all of my new, pretty much all of my new friends, in SoCal were big U2 fans, okay? Uh, they had already had their heavy metal phase in junior high. You know, that was the thing. You were, you were, if you were a boy, you were supposed to have gone through your heavy metal phase in junior high, and then and then you get into the more modern rock stuff like U2 and The Police and The Clash and I don't know, whatever. Well, Oingo Boingo was one of the, you know, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of the bands that they were kind of obsessed with. But, you know, in Southern California, we called them, we, you know, we referred to them as K-Rock bands because there was a, a station here called K-Rock. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm going to eventually turn them all back into hard rock, metal, and especially Southern rock fans, <laughs> okay? Uh, my my uh, influence will be felt on that. But I, in turn, would become a U2 fan. Okay, These same friends, I, I don't think a lot of them would really really listen to a lot of U2 post probably Rattle and Hum. I don't know. I haven't really talked to them about it. But um, most of them today, that when, when, I get, when I'm around them, they're listening to hard rock and southern rock and metal and stuff like that. Um, but for me, this song kind of, you know, takes me back to driving around in the cold rain, watching the steam rise from the streets, you know, kind of like you saw in the live at Red Rocks concert film. I just remember one day, you know, riding, you know, we're just out just back. That's what we did back then. We just ride around because nothing better to do. But I remember it being really cold, you know, for Southern California and raining in the the steam was coming off, and we were blaring, you know, the the War album and Sunday Bloody Sunday was, you know, so I don't know. Just if if it's such a a mundane thing, something that nothing exciting happened, but I I vividly remember that that little cruising trip we took listening to that, and uh, I think that's when I you know kind of become a U two fan right there. Um, the beat, it's a, you know, instant identification. There was really nothing else like it musically at the time. Uh, you, you could compare them to the police, but the police were so good musically. They were such good 
musicians that you can't really compare them to each other because you know you two weren't they they weren't classically trained musicians and they weren't they were they they came out of punk rock they didn't really know how to play they just knew how to play U2 songs <laughs> okay they'll do a lot of covers but you know they you can't really compare them to the police is what I'm saying you know Larry Mullen Jr is not Stuart Copeland and you know it's it's not you know the edge is not Andy Summers they they don't have the same skill level the police is on a much higher skill level uh, than they are but um but that that's okay because there was like I said there's nothing like what U2 was doing um they go on to make more great music that's really up there for me in my estimation um but I think they probably peaked with this song Okay, and that's that's not saying stuff that came after it was bad. It's just this is that good. Okay, uh, I give my number three to Good Old Boys, Waylon Jennings, by far the greatest TV show theme. So let's get that out of the way first. But it's more than that. I agree with Artillo. The song is better than the show, and I love the show. I watch the show uh, even during my long falling out with country music. This song still spoke to me. Musically, it's the platonic form of outlaw country. Okay, it's one distorted, distorted guitar away from being a southern rock song. Lyrically, it pretty much sums up the real American dream, which is living a life of consistency in the face of an ever of ever changing law. You know, there's this notion that the rule of law is supreme in Western civilization, but that's only been true since the Enlightenment. What the Dukes of Hazard show and this Waylon Jennings songs reflect is something older. The notion that, yes, we live according to laws, but not just laws of petty tyrants. There are higher laws. Number two, Fox on the Run by Sweet. I have a soft spot for the band Sweet. They were my probably my first musical obsession as like a toddler, like a two-year-old. Like I was obsessed with, with Sweet as a, as a two-year-old. I couldn't have been older than that uh, when my parents bought the single Little Willie, which I played constantly, um, which will be a five on this list at some point. Fox on the Run is a distant second, but still a huge nostalgia giant for me, and it still holds up. I can take or leave Ballroom Blitz, but Fox on the Run, Little Willie, they'll always make my list pure pop rock fun. Um, and Spineless by Tourniquets. Absolute travesty. This one gets a one. I mentioned it last season when I ranked the track that follows it, Dysfunctional Domicile, also as a one. And I think I said, oh, Spineless is definitely going to rank higher than that. But here we go. As much as I love it, uh, the other songs are just stronger. It won't get kicked off, though. That much I can guarantee all right, that's about going to do it, and uh, we're going to uh, have a new short story. This one is called That Exquisite Strength, and I had written this before I went to see the C.S. Lewis thing further up and further in, uh, and where he talked about Lewis's uh, novel, That Hideous Strength, which is a great novel if you haven't read that. If you haven't read the Space Trilogy, you, you know you need to do yourself a favor and do that. Um, but I, 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 obviously the title is a play on that. Um, but you know this is a this is a um, 
a story that I wrote. I I I can't remember the short story. There's a short story that I'm kind of that I kind of borrowed from, uh, you know, one of the plot points, and I can't remember the name of it. I wish I could. I'd like to give, uh, but I I I it, I was directed toward that by Daryl Cooper in the Modern Maids po- Martyrs Made podcast. So I want to give at least give him credit for that. All right, let's get to that. My mind is clean, and you got. Oh, and we got another playout song from Brian Duncan, which this one's another amazing. Kind of reminds me of a Tears for Fears kind of thing. So fantastic. All right, you guys have a good one. My mind is clean. Story time with Jeff Musgrave. That exquisite strength by Chris Nairn. Barry Killaby Corum rage quit in a torrent of expletives beyond the pale even for his public school basketball coaches in East St. Louis. With just three weeks to go before his senior year, Barry was one of the top-rated high school point guards in the city, but the off-season program had soured him on the sport. Football coaches had been brought in to get the basketball team stronger and faster after another early exit from the state tournament. While Barry and his team dominated their league, They couldn't overcome the physical play at the state level, and Barry hated every minute of it. All the fun and variety of training that he had enjoyed since he was five years old was replaced by a repetitive grind where he often failed and looked awkward. What are you going to do if you're not going to play? His father, Barry Sr., asked in shock. I'm gonna start my hip-hop career, Kella B answered confidently. Hip-hop? No, you won't be doing that, Barry Sr. said, his voice functioning as a countdown to an explosion that would go off as soon as Killabee uttered one defiant word. After an eight-hour bus trip, Killabee found himself in a rural southern Arkansas town on the Washita River. He was to spend his senior year with his cousins, Dale and Daryl, at tiny K-12 school, far away from warehouse parties, DJs, and record producers who were little more than con artists. No basketball, just school, riding around the countryside in his cousin's 69 Dodge Charger. One hot, humid Friday night after a football game, Killa B and his cousins were driving out to the tree to hang out with some more rednecks he was sure to hate. These people were blissfully ignorant of how lame they were. At the game, Dale had asked an especially attractive cheerleader if he could buy her lunch at the car wash Saturday. Killa B thought she was going to laugh and turn him down, but she squealed. Oh, I love Tri-City. What time? It was dark out in the country. The tree they were looking for was a few miles in the distance when Killa B noticed lights in the far distance. It had to be another city, bigger than Crossit, where he was going to school. What are them lights? It looks like a city. Why don't we go there? Killa B felt excited for the first time since his arrival. Dale glanced back from the front passenger seat and said, Nah, that's Leve. That town is off limits. Don't nobody go there. Daryl nodded in agreement as he turned onto a dirt road toward the tree. The next Monday night, Killa B waited until everyone was asleep, borrowed the keys to the charger, and headed down the highway toward Leve. Leve was different, that was for sure. It was after 10 o'clock and people were still out and about. 
Everywhere he looked, there were coffee shops, restaurants, bars, and stores where you could buy the latest fashions. There was a movie theater and a hotel that looked like one of those resorts where famous people like to party. Kill a bee to get used to this. The people of Leve were kind of lame. None of them were dripped like him. There didn't seem to be much of a street culture like Killabee thought he was part of, but they were nice and welcoming. They took an interest in him immediately and seemed genuinely impressed when he told them his plans to become a hip-hop artist. They even took him to an open mic event at one of the town's many bars where he stole the show. Killabee had never felt so comfortable. He decided if Daryl and Dale wanted their car back, they could come to Leve and get it themselves. He was staying. His cousins never came to town, and the days turned into weeks. Killabee was allowed to stay at the hotel in exchange for performing at the poolside lounge five nights a week. He couldn't believe how different this place was. They seemed to have everything anyone could ever want. Nobody was poor. People worked, but none of them seemed to be struggling. The only thing he could figure out that could account for the town's prosperity and openness was he hadn't seen a single church the whole time he'd been there. One evening, after a well-received poolside performance, Killabee was asked to join the mayor of Levey at his table. Over the next several hours, the mayor schooled Killabee on what made Levey, its actual pronunciation, special. It was true, there were no churches in the town but that didn't mean the people weren't spiritual. On the contrary, the town was inhabited by a powerful spirit that had once ruled a great civilization in the area. Its power had been broken when its people were driven off their lands and were no longer able to provide him the sacrifices he demanded. The good news is he's back. The mayor smiled and clapped Killabee on his shoulder and he's offering you everything you ever wanted, a contract with LeVay Records, a tour, money, everything. The LeVay Records? I thought that was a coincidence, know what I'm saying? Killabee asked, unconsciously becoming more street. I know precisely what you're saying. After recording his album, Killabee did a small tour and returned to LeVay, a bit disillusioned. No one outside the town seemed to like his music even a little bit. He was assured that he was just paying his dues at the moment. In time, people on the outside world would embrace him as sure as the town did. He was shown a large, modern house with a pool, almost as large as the hotel's. It was his if he wanted it. All he had to do was pass the initiation. The mayor explained the secret to the town's prosperity. Every generation chooses a boy, and that boy is kept hidden from the rest of the town. Four times a year, on a Sunday, his blood is drained until he is almost dead. Then the blood is offered to the spirit of Washita in an ancient ritual. When the boy turns 18, as he would in a year, he is sacrificed in the old way, his heart cut from his chest and eaten by the town elders. New members must each spend a year torturing the boy in order to share in the good life of the town. Killaby thought about it. It seemed messed up, but he figured this is how the world worked anyway. He agreed. Killaby was going to show the town how it's done. He was going to make the boy more miserable than anyone could imagine. 
Townspeople were intrigued by the strange equipment Killabee had delivered to the basement holding facility. Steel tubing of all kinds, a weird looking chrome pole, iron discs the size of car tires. Some torturers liked to starve the boy, while others found stuffing him was much more unpleasant. Killabee went with the latter. No one knew exactly what he was doing, but when he emerged from the basement every day, he was beaming with pride. They knew it had to be something really horrible. The fact that the boy doubled his blood production from the previous year seemed to be lost on everyone. On the day of sacrifice, Killabee led the boy up the stairs and into the sunlight. It was the first time he had seen the sun his entire life, so he was quite disoriented. But that was nothing compared to the town's cognitive dissonance. The boy was a man, a very large man with bulging muscles. None of his previous tortures could recognize him. What have you done? screamed the mayor. I tortured him like those fools tortured me, Killabee replied defensively. I made him do that nonsense where he had to do the same lifts over and over again, three days a week, adding weight each time so it was always as hard as it could be. And I made him eat until he almost got sick. I didn't want him to have the relief of throwing up. You cretinous moron! You've made him too strong! The mayor cried as he watched the boy pull free from Killabee's grip. For the next several hours, the boy delivered a reckoning on the town like hadn't been seen in three or four centuries. Being smugly gun-free and generally pacifist, no one in the town could do anything. The boy killed all of his torturers, the elders, the mayor, and many others. He spared the children, most of whom would end up in foster homes, unable to satisfactorily explain their past. He also spared Killabee because, although he didn't know it, Killabee had treated the boy better than anyone ever had. I know you meant to hurt me, but because of you, I am free, the boy said as he and Killabee rolled past the town limit in the Dodge Charger heading toward Crosser. I do not have a name, and I don't know yours. Killabee thought for a moment. My name was Killabee, but that sounds dumb now. Call me Barry. What should my name be? You, the killer now, be.
Boys love it when it's easy Things are going right There will come a day when Love is harder to come by Harder to come by All I ask that you help me Day after the day 